So we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines today. I know some of what you read in John Mark Comer's book hit on this too. So I wanted to kind of combine these things in one day. Um, and there will be some overlap and there will be some things that are a little different. The language is different, but hopefully the concepts mesh and the ideas really sink in because um, I think they're worth sinking in like that. Um, so spiritual disciplines, what we're going to talk about today. My guess is that this stuff that I teach through is not going to be mind-blowing to you. Um, even if you haven't thought in these specific categories or terms before, you've probably thought about these things or been taught about these things or read these things before. So I'm guessing this isn't going to be like, whoa, new teaching. But I just want to give clear language. I want to kind of get a baseline of understanding. I want to make sure these things are in the framework of your life, in the trellis of your life that the vine can grow on. Um, so let's just kind of unify our language a little bit. Um, that language disciplines, I don't remember, did John Mark Homer talk about this much in that intermission section, how much he doesn't like that word? Did he talk about that in this section? Yeah, he does. Yeah, and he prefers practices, right? I actually prefer practices too. I use the language spiritual disciplines because this um, breakdown <laughs> and this titling comes from Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline. And his language is disciplines, and this is his breakdown. So I like that. I don't dislike the word disciplines. I really like the word practices, as I've thought about it, though, because it's like something you practice, which means I'm not perfect at it, but I'm trying, you know? Um, so I like that language a lot. So hold on to that language practice. But I think the language discipline is helpful, too. Tony Weider, um, first years, got to hear Tony Weider talk about that. Remember, and he was talking about, you can memorize tons of scripture, and you should. You just have to have some discipline, right? I think there is some truth in the Christian life to just saying sometimes you've got to have discipline. Like if you want to have a quiet time, you don't always want to, and it just slides beautifully into the rhythm of your world. Sometimes it's like i got to get up early and do it, whether I feel it or not. Sometimes it's like I'm tired. I need to pray. I'm going to discipline myself to stay awake. Like there's just discipline to this life, to having a structured life where you do things on purpose. So discipline's not a bad word. Practice is also a good one. Embrace both. They're both valuable. But spiritual disciplines. Here's what I would say about spiritual disciplines that's a helpful framework to me to just remember is that I would call it an invitation to a countercultural life. An invitation to a countercultural life. Um, so many of these things are just going to be so counter to the way society functions, people around us function. Um, even in church world, sometimes just the pace and the normalcy of what happens is different than a lot of what this requires of us. So if we're going to really live a spiritually disciplined life, a life that practices spirituality in a Jesus kind of way, it's going to take a, 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 like intentionality to say, I'm, I may need to be different than people around me. And that's okay. I may need to have a different schedule than them. I may need to say no to some things or say yes to some things or whatever. Because I have a goal in mind that's different than living in the flow of the river of the world around me. Right? I don't want to do that. And it's not always bad. It usually is. It's not always bad. But I want to live a countercultural life with a goal of Christ-likeness. That's what I want. So sometimes that's going to mean if I want to be like Christ and not like everything and everyone else, I have to choose to be countercultural sometimes. So when these feel like discipline, they, sometimes they are because the things around us aren't moving in that same direction. But it's worth moving in a different direction. So embrace a countercultural life. So these disciplines are broken up in inward, outward, and corporate. Again, this is Richard Foster's language. If you haven't heard of or read that book, Celebration of Discipline, and you really care about this stuff or are interested in it, you should check out that book. It's really good. It's kind of the classic um, for our uh, time period of time, at least. There's older classics too, but um, Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Discipline, is really good and just a great overview of these things if you want to dig in some more. So this breakdown comes from him. I think it's helpful to think in those three categories. Um, they overlap a little bit. They bleed in and out a little bit, but I think they're helpful. So 
inward first. Let's talk about some inward disciplines, four things that kind of inwardly we really focus on that build our inner life. So the first one is meditation, and which I would define as slowing down to hear God. Slowing down to hear God. Uh, with all of these, we could define them any number of ways. We could talk about any number of things. I think this is helpful language. Meditation to me is slowing down to hear God. Um, meditation, just kind of by definition, definition is like... Um, either focusing on something for a long time, like meditating on it, chewing it over, is kind of the, the language. Um, or in some traditions that aren't Christian, like totally clearing your mind to become one with the things around you. That's not Christian meditation. That's like a worldliness. I think there is a place for a slow down, clear your mind, fill it with the Lord and meditate on him. That's our goal. Slow down enough to be able to hear his voice. Because I don't know about you, but even right now, if I just let it be silent for a minute, your mind would just spin. Right, you'd probably have all kinds of things you're thinking of. You'd be like, "Oh yeah, Ben told us we need to pick a memory passage later today," or "I wonder what it's going to be like when we do those word studies," or "I really need to be," or "What are we having for lunch?" Like your mind's just going to spin, 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 spin. Or I need to work on this thing this afternoon. I, we're just like busy, full, frantic. Right? You got to slow down enough. To, like let that stuff play out, and then let your mind come to peace. And then say, "God, what do you have to say?" Lord, speak. Your servant is listening, and that takes slowness it takes patience sitting still sitting quiet finding that place of peace where you can just hear him because his voice often comes in that still small whisper like he spoke to elijah right and that doesn't usually break through the chaos and the busyness and the crazy we gotta slow down so we can hear him and his voice is worth hearing but it takes slowness and peace and quiet sometimes to get there so meditation is something that's very countercultural, counterintuitive not typical especially in our world when i mean i do this all the time like a lot of times when I wake up early, I'm listening to stuff right away. A lot of times when I'm about to go to bed, I'm listening to stuff. And sometimes it's really good and edifying and great stuff. And sometimes it's just stuff I want to do. But in any case, it's like usually noise. I have to discipline myself to say, I could consume content all the time, even if it's really good. But does that help me hear his voice? Or does that help me kind of stay numb so that I can just fall asleep without worrying about stuff? You know what I mean? And there's a place for that sometimes. But I think sometimes you need to like be different. I'm going to be slow. I want to hear his voice and put it away and embrace the silence. That's meditation. And you have to fight for it, I found. Do you guys think that's true? You got to fight for it a little bit to slow down. But there's nothing better. I, I would think you, you guys probably mostly could say, too, there's not much better than when you really get to that place where, like, the noise plays itself out. You turn it over to him, lay it at the cross for a minute. Then you're still actually really still. And it's actually really quiet. And his voice breaks in, and he reminds you who you are. And he gives clarity to something you're worried about. He gives an answer to something you've been asking about. He gives peace when you've been stressed. When you really get to that place of just quiet with him, there's nothing better. But you got to sometimes work to get there. There's a discipline to get there um, that's worth embracing. So build this into your life somehow or another. Yeah? So question is that, um, what if actually you, you slow down Sometimes that's how it goes. I think um, God often, God often um, speaks in the quiet like that, but he doesn't always. I think like with everything with God, we can say like all these things are, are going to be like a trellis that a vine can grow on. And I want to build my life into a place that can receive his voice, receive his presence, have rhythm so that he can break in easily. But he does what he wants when he wants how he wants, whether I am ready or not. You know, So I want to live a life that's very prepared for him. But I can't guarantee or force him to do anything. 
So some, but I, what I would say is when you slow down and wait and are patient like that and you're listening for his voice and there's no dramatic breakthrough, I think still your soul has found a place of peace so that when you get up and leave, like, okay, at least I'm, I've been still, the dust has settled and I can move forward with a sense of clarity. Even if God hasn't done something, there still is a peace that he can work in and work through in your life. So yeah, he doesn't always show up in a powerful way. But I think regardless, this discipline of slowing down is just nourishment for our soul. That's what I would say. Um, here's the next one, prayer. Um, which again, you could say a hundred things about prayer, but here's what I would say about prayer for, for the sake of this discussion today. Coming into alignment with the will of God. Coming into alignment with the will of God. Prayer is a whole lot of things. This is one facet of it. Um, but I think it's a really helpful like framework one to think of with prayer. When I think of prayer, a lot of times I typically think of the things I say or the things I ask or the things I tell him or even the things I hear from him. And that is that. you know, Prayer is conversational. Prayer is me giving in my heart. Prayer is me hearing from him. But if I leave time of prayer with him just as worried as I was before, or if I leave time of prayer with him just as stressed or like torn up as I was before, I don't know that I've done prayer super great. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm always going to sit down to pray and then walk out with like every answer and every bit of peace that I've ever hoped for. But I hope when I sit down and talk with him and hear from him, that even if I'm still in a little tension or even if I don't have total clarity or total answers, I could get up and leave and say, God, even if I don't know what you're doing, I want what you want. So like, and once you tell me what you want, that's what I want. Like, I, I at least want prayer to shift my will into alignment with what God wants. Does that make sense? Which sometimes means I'm going to sit down and talk to him and hear from him. And it's this exchange of like praising him and hearing from him and asking him and sitting like a child with a father. And I'm going to get up and leave and be like, wow, he gave me an answer and he gave me clarity. Sometimes he does that. Sometimes I'm just going to get up and leave and like, I don't know what to do in this situation. But I know his heart. I'm reminded of what he cares about. I'm reminded of what he wants. And I've done some work to say, God, I'm worried about this and I'm stressed about this and I want this. But... Like Jesus ended his conversation with the Father, one of them that we got to hear, not my will, but yours be done. And if I can get up and leave the place of prayer, of like dedicated prayer, prayers all the time, but if I can leave that place of dedicated prayer saying, God, not my will, but yours, whether I know exactly what that will is or not, I think that's when prayer has done a lot of its best work, is when we can leave saying, I want what he wants. My heart is his heart. His heart is my heart. I don't know what it is, or I do know what it is, or I love it, or I don't like it, whatever, but I want what he wants. Um, and if you can get up and leave prayer after uh, with that kind of alignment with his will, I, that's such a good place to be. I, mean, I think you guys know that. I think you've lived that, right? There's a difference. Even if you're like, man, I don't love that. I wish it would be different. But pray yourself into alignment um, with him because he's going to get what he wants, whether I like it or not. So I want to get to the place where my heart is his heart because he can do that. Sometimes sometimes he answers our requests and gives us what we want and gives great gifts that we ask for. Sometimes he says, this is what I want. What I would also like is for your heart to change. And he can do that heart change work too, which is sometimes just as good. Um, so come into alignment with the will of God and prayer can do a lot of that work in us. Is that making sense? Yeah. Okay, fasting. This is another kind of inward private, like I do it in myself, discipline. I would just call this decreasing your dependence on something to increase your dependence on God. Decreasing your dependence on something to increase your dependence on God. I, mean, I think you would know fasting uh, most of the time, well, I think all the time in Scripture, it has to do with food, like going without food for a period of time. 
um, to focus your attention on prayer, to focus your attention on a specific request, or just to focus your devotion on Him. I do think fasting can be any number of things. You can fast from your phone, fast from TV. When I was in high school, I used to all the time, like my fasting go-to was all fast from sweet tea. Because I used to, I don't know if I ever drank water like as a kid. I think it was only sweet tea all the time. And um, so that was like my go-to, like, man, if I'm going to like really deprive myself for spiritual holiness, I can go without sweet tea for a week. It was just so sanctifying. And it was. And that's, you know, great. And wherever, wherever you can find that's good and healthy and appropriate fasting, you should do that. But I also just want to tell you, biblically, when fasting happened, it was going without food, um, which is harder usually to do. Now, you know, be wise with that. Don't, don't just say, like, I'm going to fast for 40 days and not need anything. That may not be good for you. Don't start there if you haven't done it before. But I would encourage you, start doing something. Like, you could skip a meal. You'll be okay. You could go without food for a day. You'll be okay. It may not feel great. You're not supposed to feel great, necessarily. You're decreasing your dependence on something to increase your dependence on God. If you haven't done much fasting in your life, that's okay. But I just want to invite you to try it. Give it a shot. Like maybe, maybe tomorrow, say, I'm not going to eat lunch. And just see what that does to your soul. Um, it'll probably bring up a whole bunch of worry or anxiety or stress or anger, probably. And then you can pray through it and be like, wow, God, I didn't know all that was in me. That's yucky. I would rather get that out than get lunch in. Wouldn't you? So try it. If you haven't done much fasting, try it. It's such a good gift. It's hard. It's not fun. It's so sanctifying. So try something. I, I would even challenge you. I'm, I won't follow up on it. So, you know, I don't do with it what you want. Sometime in the next week, like before next Thursday, fast from something for some period of time. I'll be as general and broad as that. Fast from something for some period of time that you think would stretch you. And just see what God does. Now, here's the thing with fasting. Don't, don't use it like as a manipulation weapon where it's like, I really want this one so fasting until God gives it to me. I think there is a place for like, you know, cry out to him and fast and like beg. I've done that before. Like, I'm going to fast and really pray hard for this thing. He doesn't always give it though. So, because again, God does what he wants when he wants how he wants. And we can ask him and he listens and, you know, he engages our prayer. He doesn't always give us what we want though. So yeah, let fasting be a, a way to kind of, amplify your prayer and amplify your focus but it's not a guarantee you get what you want just be careful with that but if the goal is i'm decreasing my dependence on something i'm purposely saying i really love eating food i really love having snacks i'm not going to have them because i need god more than i need that stuff which we would all say that's like basic elementary we all believe it when you physically put that in practice it shifts something in your heart shifts something in the spiritual realm even i think where your prayers can kind of just be amplified where your prayers can be clarified where um, God just does a lot of good work. So sometime in the next week, fast from something for some period of time and just make your prayer, God, I need you more than I need sweet tea. God, I need you more than I need lunch. God, I need you more than I need cliff bars. God, I need you more than I need coffee. Whatever, I need you more than I need Instagram. I don't know what it would be, um, but just make that your prayer. Decrease your dependence on something. Increase your dependence on him. I think you'll find it fruitful. You'll probably find it a lot of things, but I think you'll find it fruitful. Uh, study. Um, I would just call this increasing your understanding. Increasing your understanding. Now, not everybody is called to be a scholar, right? Not all of you are just going to love reading dense Bible dictionaries over there or doing big, long Greek word studies. Some of you really love that. And if that's you, embrace that. Do it a lot. Um, but I would say all of us need this discipline to some degree or another. 
Because at its core, like the Bible isn't the only thing about our faith, right? Like Jesus is alive, the Spirit is in us, we're on mission. There's a lot of movement and living elements to our faith. This is a big, big, big part of our faith. And if our faith is built largely on a book, that means at some level you got to study and understand something that was written down. On some level, we all have to. So whether you're kind of innately a scholar or not, make study part of your disciplined, regular spiritual life. It's going to be so healthy for you. So you may not love it all the time. It may not be your bread and butter. For some of you, it might be. Do it all the time. But if it's not, I would challenge you. Like, kind of get uncomfortable a little bit and say, I'm going to study something. And pick something you would care about. You know, I want to study what God has to say about money. And just kind of find a way to study that. You know, look it all up. And do a study over the course of a week. And see what all he says. Let that be your quiet time. I think learning something, just understanding something more about Scripture, more about who he is, is so healthy for us spiritually. You may do it all the time. You may do it a little bit. But it's healthy. You need it more than you think. And it cultivates a strong inner life for you, I think, when your mind is growing. This is not only an intellectual faith but it is an intellectual faith so increase your understanding a little bit the more you know him the more you love him the more you get him the more you can see him work in the world and sometimes the more you know him the more you're just impressed by how little you can fully know and understand him right um sometimes it's like man i really understand this and that's great sometimes you're like i'm studying and studying and studying and you don't make any sense Mm -hmm. and if that can lead you to a place of worship that's a great gift too um, but increasing your understanding really can increase your love for him. Um, so do that. Try that. Um, build it into your world a little bit. And if this is new for you and you're like, I feel like I should try studying. I don't love it, but I don't know how. Ask me. I would love to give you ideas. Uh, Kathy, too, could give you a lot of great ideas. Okay, outward disciplines, things that have a more outward impact, kind of relate us more to the outward world. Um, those, those inner ones are more like private. You know, probably people would never know we're doing these things. Right, and, and may not need to ever know we're doing these things. Um, they're kind of more in the closet, in the private life. These outward ones have a little bit more of an effect on how we engage with the world. They still are somewhat private, but a little bit more outward facing. So simplicity, simplicity is the next one, which I would just call freeing yourself from the things of the world. Freeing yourself from the things of the world. John Mark Comer is going to have a section on that in your book later. I think it's later. You haven't read it yet, have you? It's really good. Um, but simplicity, I think, is really important. I would just challenge you all to think, what are ways you could simplify your life? Not just your schedule, but like physically, possessions. What do you have that you don't need? How big is your closet? Does it really need to be that big? Do you wear all those things all the time, really? Like, do you need to have that much stuff? Even just on a practical level, like kind of the stress of staring at 400 options and deciding, what am I going to wear this Thursday? Do you need to have that many options? You probably don't. What if you simplified a little bit? could be really healthy for you. What if you simplified the, the things that you eat or the things that you buy and just bought and consumed less stuff? You probably don't need as much stuff. Just free yourself from the things of the world. Even it may not be bad. And it's not bad to have clothes. It's not bad to have phones. It's not bad to have technology or gadgets or sports stuff. Those things are fine. But the amount that we consume can consume us. So just take an inventory of your life sometimes and say, well, how can I simplify? How can I have less? What if I just got rid of clutter in my room? That could be so freeing to your mind. There would just be less clutter your mind has to sift through when you're trying to meditate even. So simplify. Um, you guys can probably just kind of pray through that question and see what God might reveal. I bet if you ask him, like, God, how could I simplify? I bet he'd show you. And it may or may not be comfortable, but I bet he'd show you. And I bet it'd be good for you. Um, solitude is the next one, which feels very inner life. But if I'm going to choose a life of solitude or habits of solitude, that's going to affect the way I engage with other people, right? Because I have to withdraw from them. Um, so this outward discipline of solitude, I would just say cultivating a strong inner life, 
which is gonna have outward effects on what I do socially and how I spend my time. It's so important for us as disciples, apprentices of Jesus, to spend time in solitude. Being alone, letting your thoughts settle, letting the dust settle, being quiet, hearing his voice, just get alone. For extroverts, you'll you'll be nervous about this and hate it and it'll be hard for you. For introverts, you're like, yes, thank you. And you're gonna have to push yourself to do some other things. But all of us, introvert or extrovert or whatever other personality word you want to put on it, all of us need some solitude to just be alone Um, because we have an invisible father who wants to have a relationship with us that you can't have fully without some solitude. He'll engage you wherever and whenever, and he engages you through people too. But if you don't have some solitude with him, there's something you're missing. You know, There's just some time you're missing. Um, Your father wants to be with you. He wants to sit and talk with you. He wants to hear what's on your heart. He just wants to know you. Um, and if you don't get alone with him, you can't do that. Um, there's something too, it's like with meditation. When we sit still and sit quiet and get alone, anxieties tend to creep up, worries tend to creep up, stresses <coughs> tend to creep up, or just like things we're really excited about and our minds run in, our busyness creeps up when you get alone like that. But if you can get alone with him and let him speak into those things, let him shepherd those things, let him correct some of those things, let him heal some of those things then your inner life becomes so much stronger. Um, I mean, this is just true, I think it's just true in the world, but it's certainly true spiritually. When you have clear affirmation, clear identity from your Father, it changes so much, doesn't it? Doesn't it make your heart stronger? Doesn't it make you feel like, I know who I am, I know what I'm called to do, I know how I can function today. The great gift that we all have is the best Father in the world wants to sit alone with us and give that to us regardless of what you did or didn't get here you have the best father in the world who is just asking and inviting come sit with me let me tell you who you are let me tell you what i made you for let me remind you what you don't have to worry about let me remind you that you don't have to be afraid about that your father wants to sit and hold you and give that stuff to you and when your inner life like that is strengthened by a father who gives you everything you need then your outward life becomes more fruitful and more confident and more healthy, more helpful to others, more of a blessing to others because your inner life is strong. And that comes from a father who fills everything in every way that we need. Um, so get alone with him. There's just nothing, nothing can replace it. Um, the next one, submission. Submission. Um, I would define this this way. I think this definition is really, really helpful. Changing your attitude toward others. Changing your attitude toward others. You hear submission, you probably think of Ephesians 5, right? Wives submit to your husbands and all the arguments about that. And the verse before that says, submit to one another, everybody. So remember that for one. Verse 21 is important. Um, but regardless of how you do it, I, I would agree with Paul. Why submit to your husbands? That's important. In all relationships, submit to one another. What is the word submission? Does that mean I just cower under whatever everybody else has to say and I become their stepping stone so that my life is miserable? That's never meant that. It never should mean that. If submission is changing my attitude towards others, that's a different type of thing. So if my attitude towards others is, I want to be a blessing to you. I want to encourage you. I want to build you up and strengthen you like scripture calls all of us to do for one another. If my attitude towards you is, how can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I bless you? That's going to help me be genuinely submissive. That's going to help me and sometimes be a really good follower. That's going to help me sometimes be bold and speak up. That's going to help me be a good leader. If my attitude towards others is, how can I bless you? Even if my role in an organization or family or whatever is leader, if my attitude is, I want to bless you, then the way I interact is healthy and better and mature and kind, right? 
if my attitude towards others is I'm your leader, you're not my leader, or if my attitude towards others is I don't want to submit to you, or if my attitude towards others is like I have to submit to everything you say because I'm cowering in fear, those are going to be really unhealthy, really unhelpful relationships. Mm -hmm. If our attitude is how can I bless you? How can I be who God made me to be for you? How can I help you be who God made you to be? If that's our attitude towards others, and those are going to be mutually edifying, helpful, healthy relationships that produce godliness and holiness in us. I think that's what we're called to do. So if submission is changing my attitude towards others, I think that's going to create healthiness, humility, holiness, and all this. Is that making sense to you? Um, Service is the next outward discipline. Um, Here's what I think service does. This is kind of that definition. Creating genuine humility. Creating genuine humility. Um, think a lot to the, this kind of ties in with submission, by the way. Think a lot to that Tim Keller book we read, Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. That it's not about just thinking less of myself. That's not humility. That's insecurity and selfishness in a way. But if it's thinking of myself less so that I can serve you more, that's actually going to make me humble. I'm not worried about myself. I'm not worried about what you think of me. I'm worried about serving you and blessing you in the name of Jesus. That's actually going to make me really humble. Um, because Paul tells us to have the same attitude that Christ had, right? Being the very nature of God and not considered equality with God, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And we're called to have that same attitude so that we can interact well with one another. Service creates humility. So if you want to be humble, serve people. If you really want to cultivate humility in yourself, serve people anonymously. That will really shape your heart. Do it in ways that they never know, that they'll never thank you for, that nobody will ever celebrate you for. Because you know as well as I know how much we serve and are thinking like, I wonder if they'll thank me. I wonder if there'll be an award ceremony later where I get honored and everybody applauds and I go, oh no, don't applaud, but I love it. You know what I mean? Right? Let's all be honest. One of the best ways you can create, cultivate true humility, serve in a way nobody will ever know it was you. Encourage, give generously in a way nobody would ever know it was you. And that will cultivate so much humility in your heart. such a good gift. It's a good gift to give to the kingdom. It's a good gift to give to yourself. But service in others, like a true, genuinely motivated, I want to bless you kind of service creates a lot of humility. Yeah? You said uh, not thinking less of yourself. You said that was selfishness. What else also? Uh, it creates insecurity. If, if I'm just thinking less of myself, it creates insecurity and it's selfish, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is, somebody said that to me once. I, I was talking to somebody who used to be on staff here. And I forget how it got brought up, but I, I was just kind of making a joke. I was saying, like, I feel bad about something I did. And I was like, I, f- I feel like I feel guilty about something 95% of the time. I just feel bad about something I've done, or somebody's probably mad at me. I just oh, I was just kind of joking, trying to be silly. And he was like, let's get coffee sometime and talk about that, because that's actually, like, that's selfishness. You're thinking about yourself all the time. It's like, <laughs> let's not have that much. Have that. Uh, but I think he's right. And it, that feels like such a, like, I just want to serve people so much I feel bad about hurting them. It's like, that's because I'm thinking about myself and not them. That's not good. You know, it's not good. It was Matt Davidson. Yeah. Um, okay. Corporate discipline. So things that we do together that kind of affect our community. Um, confession is the first one. Um, I would just call this uprooting the power of sin. Uprooting the power of sin. We need confession. Now, of course, confess to God, right? You can sit alone with him and confess all day, and you should do that. Tell him everything. Um, he knows it anyway. But there's, you know there's power when it's just like, God, I know you know this, but I just need to tell you. I sinned against you in this way, and I sinned against you in this way, and my heart feels this way. I just want to give you my sin. There's power in telling him that. There's also power in telling another human being, I've sinned against God in this way, and in this way, and in this way, and it's the worst. 
but there's so much power. It uproots sin's power. Um, because when we can share it and then not be shamed and we can share it and be encouraged and change when we can share it and not just be like, Hey, that's okay. We all sin, but like, that's okay. I don't hate you. Let's get better together. When you do that, then sin is like that. It's whole power is to shame you and to quiet you and to like take you out of effectiveness and energy and confidence. That's what it wants to do. And then ultimately condemn you to death because you, your life is just wasted away and your shoulders shriveled up. When you can share with other people and they can say, I love you, I hear you, thank you, I'm going to fight with you, then I think Satan's like, shoot, what am I going to do? Like That's the whole thing is he's trying to just get you distracted and condemned. And when you don't do that, when that doesn't happen, when your community doesn't do that, then what power does he have left? There's no more power. So confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed, Scripture tells us. Um, So... Cultivate this discipline, and it makes major, major um, corporate health, life, growth for you. Small groups is a great place to do that. Um, it's not the only place to do that, but it's a great place to do that. You can also grab somebody here and just like, hey, I need to and start it this way. Um, with any hard conversation, by the way, this is a good way to do it. Hey, I need to confess some sin to you. Okay. Um, but just do it. Um, and use that word. There, I think there's even power in saying, I have sinned in this way. Um, use that language. And it feels uncomfortable and uh, like bad. And then there's freedom on the other side. Um, but confess your sin to one another and uproot uh, power, the power of sin. Um, the next one, worship, um, is a great corporate discipline. Of course, it's personal discipline, too. Of course, it's personal life. Of course, it's all of our life. It flavors everything. But the corporate gathering and discipline of worship is such a big deal. Here's a way that I talk about it. Again, we could say a hundred things about what worship is and what it does. But here's something that helps me. Refocusing on eternity. Worship helps me refocus on eternity. When we sing songs about heaven, or when we sing songs about how our sin is forgiven and that changes everything for us, when we sing songs... Um, that talk about what's spiritually true regardless of what's going on around us it just shifts our mind to remember there's something so much more important in the world and in my life than what I'm feeling today it, it just kind of pulls me out of the mundane or the frustrating or the scary and reminds me eternity is going on mm-hmm. here and I'm going to sing about that there's something about music that just like lifts our soul up a little bit doesn't it and that's why um, that's why we do it it just changes something in us. Whether you're a great singer or a great musician or not, when you hear a song you love, it does something to you. You know, um, I think it. Well, I don't need to show that. Um, <laughs> music just does something to you. Yeah. Um, when you find a song you love that has the words that are articulating your heart, it just lifts your soul into heaven in a way that other things don't do. <clears throat> Um, so do it. Embrace it. Do worship. Gather in worship. This is why it's so important in ministry to find ways to get in a church service. Um, some of your ministries are going to run at such a pace where you're like, I haven't been in a worship service in six months. And it's almost like this badge of honor where you're like, we're just so busy. I never get into church. Ha, ha, ha. And like, your soul is going to shrivel up and die soon. You better find a way to get in there. Um, you've got to go sing with your church family. And sometimes it's hard, and I get it. Sometimes there's no way around it. You're way understaffed, or you know, whatever. I know there's seasons, so don't use that as a weapon to, you know, blast ministry PBC. But in your life, put up a guardrail. It's not a badge of honor to say, our ministry is on all the time, and we don't get in worship services because we're just so busy. It's like, well, then you're doing it wrong. You need to change something. Find a volunteer or cancel a service or something. You've got to figure out a way to gather with your church family and worship. And again, sometimes there's seasons where you're understaffed or whatever, and you gotta, you got to just like, you know, for the next three, four weeks, 
I'm doing every single service in children's ministry and I'm just running. Sometimes that happens. But then I would say, find a worship service somewhere else. Find a church that does a Saturday night. Find one of our campuses that's doing a quarterly worship night somewhere or another and get there and just get your soul engaged with heaven. It just does something to us that you can't do any other way. Um, if, if you really can't do it any other way, again, there's a difference in like having corporately does something. At the very least, find some songs you love and play that instead of a podcast one day and just sit still long enough to let your soul engage in that way. Do something to lift your soul into heaven. It just changes you. Um, guidance is the next one. Um, I would describe it this way. I, this, by the way, when I would read this, like in fostering, like guidance is a spiritual discipline. What do you mean? That's a little bit weird, but I think it's really helpful. I would define it this way: helping each other follow Jesus. Helping each other follow Jesus. A word we might use for that now is like mentorship, or like a spiritual director even does some of this, or a counselor can do some of this. But I think having a, a regular habit of letting other people speak into your life to help you follow Jesus, and we need that. You need that. You all hunger for it. You want it. Um, but sometimes it's hard for one because we have these high expectations of somebody like helping fix our life for us which isn't what this means or um, sometimes it's just hard to ask for help but we need to lean on somebody else and say hey can you help me think through this I want to follow Jesus better and I'm not sure how in this situation or I think I'm doing this right I think God's calling me to this I want to talk to somebody who's I, I trust your wisdom I trust your walk with him can you just pray through this with me and help me follow Jesus um, just ask that. Um, and it's a discipline sometimes to lead into that. But we need each other to follow him well. We need the whole body to speak into how we follow him. Um, so discipline yourself into that. Uh, the last one here on your sheet is celebration, um, which we could probably describe lots of ways. This definition has been helpful for me. I call it having fun to create joy. Having fun <laughs> to create joy. Um, sometimes I think it's just good to have fun. And it's okay to laugh and be happy and be a Christian. Um, sometimes it's okay to let a worship service be fun. You know, it's not all... I, if I was planning a worship service, it would probably be all the, like, ballad spiritual power songs that repeat the gospel. And that's great. Um, and I would still do that most of the time. But it's also okay. Have a little bit of fun. Like, it's okay when you're at high school camp. High school camp is way celebration. It's okay to have a little bit of fun. And it creates joy in people. And you're like, hey, it's good to be a follower of Jesus together, isn't it? Like, there's some stuff about that that's like, this was fun. And it's good to have fun. When we have, we have a Trivial Pursuit party, that was fun. For the reason of just getting to know each other and have fun with each other. That was fun. I think it created joy for us. That's good. If that's all we ever did, it'd be real shallow. But if all we ever did was me lecture at you, we'd be real shallow in a different way. you got to have some fun. you got to celebrate. Um, Sabbath is a great way to do this and sometimes the celebration is serious like serious important celebration for God's goodness is also a celebration that creates join us but so is just like having a lot of fun you know my family has like fun special sweet breakfast that we never get to have any other time on Sabbath it's the best my daughter who's one and a half Shiloh is starting to do this now we're like Shiloh it's Sabbath like on Saturday morning or something she'll like pop up and go Sabbath <laughs> like, oh my gosh, she runs out, like, ready. She didn't even know what all it means. She just knows it's a good day. You know, we're all together. But I love that she's feeling the joy of the best day we have and the most fun we have. And we're all together and we have fun traditions. She's already feeling there's so much joy in just celebrating the gift that God has to give. So I don't know how you build that into your life. But find ways to, in your life, have lightheartedness and have joy and have fun. Like God is the giver of every good gift, Scripture says. So embrace some of them and have joy and have celebration. It's important to build it into your life. Sometimes I find in my spiritual life is stagnant or a little dry. The things I tend to go to um, 
because of I, I think probably because of how I'm wired or the things I most naturally relate to him with. I tend to go to the serious things, the studying things, the reflective things, the somber things. I get my Exodus oil that smells like the tabernacle used to and try to sit with him. And sometimes that breaks through. Sometimes it's like I can keep mulling over my spiritual life and trying to reflect on it, and I'm just going to mull myself into a spiritual pit. Sometimes it's like go have fun with some Christians, you know, and then talk about how God gives good gifts, and that's great, and that can just break you out of the pit in a way that's like, what was I so worried about before? Everything's going to be okay, you know. Sometimes you just need to have fun, and that can be spiritual too. Um, So spiritual disciplines, I think, all kinds of different facets, all kinds of different personality things. Some of you are going to relate to more of to some of these more readily than others. Um, all of you probably have a couple of these that you're like, yeah, I love that. But I would say all of us need some of these things to some extent. So find a way to embrace all of them to some extent. They're going to be really good for you. The church for centuries and centuries and centuries have said basically this list with different language. These are the things that we build into our life that help us know Jesus better. For centuries, Christians have said that. So I think we'd be foolish to say, I don't really need those things. Like for centuries, every follower of Jesus has embraced some form of this. So embrace it. Find a way to build them into your life, and you're going to be spiritually healthier. It's like a good diet. You need all of it a little bit, even though you have some favorites here or there. Try to embrace it all, and it'll make you healthier. Okay? Um, We're going to take a break here in a minute, and then after that, um, we're going to have our panel of people um, who are going to talk about how they've lived spiritual disciplines and spiritual life in their ministry and how it sustained them and made them healthier. I think it's going to be really fruitful. Okay? Um, 